Welcome to the WealthStream Podcast. The team at Hightower Great Lakes share their insights and passions for empowering their clients to live their best life. In this energetic podcast, we will take you on a journey to help you navigate your financial future, overcome life's challenges to reach your financial goals, and find the financial clarity you've been searching for. Let's explore the downstream impact of your wealth and what it means to you, your family, and your community to live greater. Hello and welcome to the Wealth Stream Podcast with your host, Tim Skinnell. I'm Wendy McConnell. Hi, Tim. How are you doing today? Uh, you know, I'm doing great. It's um, it's very hot out these days in uh, the Midwest, but uh, we're staying indoors. So life is good. No complaints. <laughs> good. Good to know. So what are we going to be talking about today? Well, as, as a listener knows from listening to previous podcasts, we feel like we have a unique, you know, wealth management process where we focus on advanced planning and relationship management, but the key, the bread and butter is the investment process. And I think as fiduciaries, we do a really nice job of it. And one of the reasons why I think we do a really good, we perform well for our clients is the fact that um, we work with Hightower, the investment solutions group. And today I just wanted to have a, introduce the, our listeners to Michael Shea, He's the managing director of the investment solutions group at Hightower. And I thought we kind of talk about what he does and why it benefits our clients and how. Thank you, uh, Tim. It's nice of you to have me. It's the first time for me. Oh, excellent. Yeah. So what I thought I'd do is maybe just start, Michael, and just say, can you maybe introduce yourself to the listeners and talk about what you do and maybe some of your, your history and all of your experience? Okay. I started in the investment business a little bit over 40 years ago, so a little while, uh, long enough to see a few things. Uh, I'm sure. I, I worked for Prudential for the better part of 30 years, and I did every job that there was. I started as a retail financial advisor. I ended up running the institutional sales group. I was the director of research for a number of years, and I, and I finished my tenure there as the uh, CEO of the firm at uh, the Prudential Equity Group. So I saw a lot of things and, and did numerous jobs. I retired in 2008. I had no intention of ever working again. And then uh, my friend Stephanie Link called in uh, at the end of 2020 and asked me to come and help at Hightower in the new business that she was trying to grow in investment solutions. And the thing that was interesting to me was that the opportunity was to find out if I could actually manage money for other people. And that was something I had never done in my in my prior career. I had done it for myself, and I was doing it for myself for the um, 13 years that I retired. And so I thought the opportunity was interesting. I wanted to find out if it was a skill set that I was that I was competent at or could become good at. So I took the opportunity at the end of 2020, and it's been a really interesting learning experience for me and rewarding. You know that. 2008 was probably a good year to retire because it was such a rough year. But so you, you talked a little bit, I think, just now about maybe why you're doing this. But since you've been doing it now and working with clients and clients' money and advisors like us, if you developed like a really why you, you're passionate for it or what you really believe about it? The, the thing that was so interesting to me was I didn't really have to change very much. I was managing my own my own uh, money for a long time, and I've been a value person forever. 
That's really been my style. Uh, so my focus was on value. It was on capturing dividend flow. That was really my my personal strength, my personal bias. And when I came here, I didn't really have to make much of an adjustment other than learning how to manage against a benchmark. And I had never done that before. I was just managing in, in terms of absolute risk and absolute returns. So I had to learn a little bit about managing against benchmarks. And that was good. That's a that's a process. But the the thing that was so exciting to me was I could stick with what I thought I was good at, which was just identifying uh, risks and rewards and opportunities, regardless of where they were. And the opportunity at Hightower was such that people that I spoke with in the in the advisor group embraced that. Uh, and it was my approach was different than what you might have heard from from other money managers. So it was really a good fit for me. Uh, and it's been really a great experience. And I, and I love the people that I'm working with here. And then um, what, what I thought I'd do is maybe ask you some, what I would call forest view questions, you know, and then also maybe some specific ones that clients are asking us. So, but you mentioned value. So I do get the question periodically from clients. What, how do you define value um, versus growth, et cetera? Oh, that's a great question. And it's an issue I have a lot of trouble with um, in terms of how the world defines them. Growth is a characteristic that exists in all companies. Doesn't necessarily mean that all companies grow. The slope can be positive. The slope can be flat. The slope can be negative. But all companies have a growth rate, positive, neutral, or negative. And value can exist anywhere. Apple computer can be a wonderful value depending on the price and how things are developing at the time. Dow Chemical can be a great value depending on the characteristics of the business at the moment. I think the conflict that exists mentally in people's minds is, is not correct. It's not growth versus value. It's whether growth is a value and attractive okay. at a particular point in time. That makes sense. Very important distinction that I focus on every day when I look at opportunities. So when you when you dove back in and you're working with Hightower and you're you know managing uh, funds for clients, so how how do you what processes do you have in place to maybe keep yourself current, keep the portfolios you know your information current, and just how do you organize your processes uh, to make sure that you're following a consistent process? It's a good question. The way that I managed money for myself and that I do now for everyone else that's that's involved is, for first of all, you have to know I work here alone. In I'm in Park City, Utah. I work in my in my home in my home office. Uh, this is the way I've worked for a long, long time. So I'm just here by myself with my head down in in markets, looking at companies in, in particular. I keep I keep more than a passing. Uh, interest in what's going on economically around the world. But I do all of that alone and kind of around the clock. It's not like you you quit at the end of the day or you don't work on the weekends. I do. How do I keep current? It's That's a tricky question. I try to absorb information from wherever it comes, whether it's print media, TV head, talking heads, um, the Fed, company conference calls, it just comes at you from everywhere. And I found over time that just letting it come and absorbing as much as I can helps me connect a lot of dots and put together thematic ideas that can be attractive. And from there, I delve down into 
individual companies that um, that I think fit the scheme that I've that I've visualized. Okay, so that bring up just brings up a thought in my mind as you're as you mentioned that you know we went through the pandemic and you know one of the things we I've talked to clients about friends family about is as a result of the being locked down or maybe not talking through ideas right so I have these great ideas then I. I think they're amazing. I put together a presentation and then I talk to clients about it and I think, ooh, that didn't make sense. So uh, how do you check your ideas? You know, do you collaborate with your team at Hightower, with Stephanie, with their other people in the group? Yeah, we we do. That's the biggest change for me is that I have a group now to collaborate with. And I'm a big believer in saying things out loud. When you when you verbalize something to your group, your peers or or whoever, uh, family members, when you verbalize your ideas, you sort of get a notion as to whether what you just said makes any sense at all. And sometimes you have the head slapper moments where you decide, oh no, that that's just not good. I, what I just said, that makes no sense. And I kind of recognize that. But it's uh, we do have a group of, a small group of research analysts who we put on board in the last couple of years. They're great to work with. We sound ideas every day. Uh, and I spend a lot of time with Stephanie because we've worked together for a long time and we bounce ideas against each other two or three times a day. Uh, and we're okay. very focused sense. on, on the risks first and then what the potential rewards are if we get involved in certain things. That's awesome. Um, so like one of the questions I get from clients is, have we been here before? Right. I mean, so I, I started in the business out of college in the eighties and you know, as you just look at a chart, you can see that we've had market growth uh, really since then as interest rates have generally, you know, moved downwards. Just some people, I've, I've read that this this reminds some people more of the 70s when I was in grammar school, so I'm not really sure. But tell me what you think. Have you been here before? You've obviously seen a lot more than I have. You've got 41, 40 plus years of experience. What does this remind you of maybe, maybe a decade or a period? Reminds me of a version of the 70s. And I think you're seeing classic inflationary mentality taking hold. And first of all, I would point out there's a huge, huge dichotomy between what experts say today and what you actually see with your own eyeballs. And I think it's important to recognize that. The experts speak today about inflation reverting back to base levels. I don't even know what that means. Hmm. But when you, you hear them speak, their base level is always much lower than where it is now. Sure, sure. That's the built-in assumption. It's going to be fine. Inflation's going back down. It's going to be fine. Same with interest rates. Don't worry. They're going lower. It's all good. And then you go to the grocery store. And what do you see? Everything's up. Yeah, exactly. drive through at McDonald's. And what you got at McDonald's at the drive through six months ago cost $4. What does it cost today? $9. Mm-hmm. That sound like base level to you because it doesn't to me. So I think you're, you're seeing this kind of classic inflationary behavior. Companies are pushing price aggressively because they can and they have to because their costs are up. They're shopping for product to keep their supply chains full everything is more expensive. What do you do? You push price because you have to. Same thing is happening in housing. You saw a big ramp in mortgage rates. It choked off demand for a little bit. And as soon as rates settled by 50 basis points, demand took off again. And the mentality is very much like the 70s where you 
kind of embrace the idea that I better buy now because it's going higher. Prices will be higher a year from now. Um, that's what we saw in the 70s and leading up to the tenure of Paul Volcker around 1980. So from an investment standpoint, then, you know, just sticking with inflation, because really for my career, inflation really was not that impactful, but it absolutely is now. You know, so how do you, how do you respond or what do you look for differently now going forward that you might have like not necessarily focused on maybe five, 10 years ago? Yeah, it's a great question. First of all, I would acknowledge I can be wrong about my whole outlook. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Base levels and things are wonderful. That could happen. I'd be happy to be wrong about, about what I think. But if I'm correct, if this is some version of the late 70s to 1980, then the impact on financial markets is such that multiples shrink. PEs for stocks shrink. Uh, the PE on the S&P in 1980 was something like seven times earnings. Oh, wow. Okay. It's 20 today. There's plenty of room, if I'm right, for multiple compression to happen and for PEs to contract, which means risk is elevated. There's a lot of risk in the market, particularly in the fabulous seven that have really driven all of the, all of the performance in the market. So how do I deal with that? If the market's trading at 20 and I think there's a lot of risk that PEs can compress, I construct a portfolio that is valued significantly lower than what the the popular stocks today are. I see. So portfolios are trading at around 13 times earnings. I've taken a lot of multiple risk out of what I've constructed. Doesn't mean it can't get hurt in a difficult environment, but I've tried to take as much of the risk out that I can before it hurts people. That makes sense. And so like one of the things that we are, you know, we, we track and we watch and we listen, we read a lot of the information coming from you, from Stephanie, you know, the Fed. So clients will ask me in meetings, you know, what's the Fed doing? Is Fed leading? Is the Fed a follower? So you, you've watched the Fed for your career. What are your thoughts about what's going on now and how they're dictating rates and changing and maybe more importantly, what you think they're going to do going forward if you want to pull out your crystal ball? I think they're always lagging. They're always behind. They're using they're using trailing data, always. I th They have a belief, as most do, that they can settle this at a lower level uh, of inflation and that rates will eventually settle, but they cause this problem. They were so, aggressive. So what do you mean, expand on that a little bit. What do you mean by that? They caused this whole problem. They were they were so panicked and worried about the economy collapsing after after COVID mm -hmm. that they stimulated far beyond what they needed to. And the day that they said that Powell said, "We're going to let this run hotter for a while," so in my mind, set off all kinds of alarm bells because they didn't need to. We were already recovering. Things were starting to work again. It was far from normal, but it was starting to work again. They didn't need to do that, but they kept pumping and look what they got. They thought they were going to have inflation at two and it's not, it's much higher. And now they're fighting something that they created. And I don't think they'll have, I don't think they'll have the tools in the toolkit that they hope for. If we are at, just think about this for a second, Tim, if we're at a point now where the economy is lifting from this level, and mm -hmm. I don't know if that's, if that's exactly what's happening, but it could be, 
if we're lifting from this level and not going to the recession that everyone expected six months sure. ago, we start to grow from here, the pressure on the Fed to keep rates higher and tighter intensifies. I don't think they're anywhere close to easing. I think quite the opposite is true. So so the better things are, the the, the harder they make it, I should say, as it seems like anyway. I think that's right. Um, and we're always balancing, you know, what's happening in the economy versus the prices that you're paying for your investments. And yeah, if, yeah. if inflation continues to be more pernicious than expected and rates turn out to be pressed higher than most expect, then I think there are a lot of stocks in the market that can be under under considerable valuation pressure. Yeah, that's one thing I have talked to clients about is this behavioral finance decision making that every individual looks at, right? You know, am I going to buy this or buy that? Am I going to do this or do that based on pricing, based on interest rates, costs? And I think, you know, as, as investment managers, you know, we we do the same thing where we look at, well, if I can get these higher yields. Do I need to take the additional risk for X, right? And right. I, and we're seeing a lot of those decision maker decisions made, or at least thought processes and decisions thought through with our clients. Right. You know, our, our clients are in a wonderful position now. And I don't know why this is a hard concept for people to grasp, but your client base hasn't been able to get a return on assets without risk in 10 years. Mm -hmm. Suddenly you can. You can put your money to work just rolling T-bills at 5%. You're pretty happy about that. If you're not, you should be. Um, right. But you can I agree. continue to roll T-bills every day. You have no risk whatsoever. Is it fun to buy NVIDIA? Yeah, I suppose it is. Is it a good idea to pay the multiple? I don't think it is. Um, but there's but there's a choice now to be made. Mm -hmm. You can buy all sorts of interesting stocks or end. You can put money to work at the short end of the treasury curve with no risk whatsoever and make 5%. There are a lot of choices to be made today, and we haven't had that in a long time. So as a, as clients are looking forward, as the listeners are looking, listening and looking forward, taking the next step tomorrow, going future, what are the big items? What are the things that, that they should be looking for or listening for uh, that, that will impact the economy, the markets, et cetera? Are, are there maybe like two or three, three or four, something that you watch as a forest view and then dive down into further? There are a few things that I think are kind of interesting from a from a big picture point of view. First of all, I think we're normalizing in a variety of ways. We've been in unprecedented waters, uh, uncharted waters for a number of years where the Fed really drove everything through through monetary policy. I think we're normalizing now. Our economy is pretty great if you just get out of the way and let it do what mm -hmm. it does. And I think we're to the point now where we can get out of the way and let it do what it does. So I think we're normalizing and we're going to be less impacted by monetary stimulus and things of that nature. Second thing is this, this notion of reshoring, onshoring corporate activities is very important. We have pushed investment as a, as a country towards Asia and towards China for more than 20 years. It took us a long time to get supply chains out of our country where we could take advantage of lower labor costs. And now we found out the risks of that in the last three years, and it's reversing. It's coming back to us. 
or to more reliable trading partners that we can that we can work with, including Mexico and Vietnam and other places in in Asia. I think that's a very big thing, and I think that'll run ten or twenty years, and it it has all kinds of investment implications. And then the last mention is um, is this idea of of paying attention to demographics. Mm-hmm. You've heard endless conversation about China, the China reopening. China is going to reopen tomorrow. It'll be next week. It's coming soon. And it's not happening. It's not happening the way you thought it would. And the reason it's not is because their demographics are terrible. Their their population is aging and their birth rate is approaching zero. That's a tough case to make that you have a new round of growth right in front of you when those, those things are uh, in place. It's very similar to what Japan experienced right after I started in the business. In 1989, the Japanese market peaked and they were suffering massively from the same ideas, aging population, no birth rate. And it's taken the better part of, uh, of 30 years for, for that to work itself out. I think that's what describes China today. And we should be depending on other growth drivers besides them. Yeah, I know. I know. Going to the reshoring piece, we I live in Valparaiso, Indiana, and we're right by US eighty ninety, you know, Highway eighty ninety four, and that's just such a truck road across the country, and it's just packed. And um, I work with uh, one of my favorite clients is a trucking firm, and they're just they can't get enough drivers. They're busy, and yeah, we, we've been hearing about the recession and the Fed talking about trying to raise unemployment, but it just seems like that you know, onshoring, reshoring is really a big factor. I totally agree. I I think if you, if you want to handle on what the economy is doing, you turn your TV off, you travel a bit around the country and you ask people how business is. Mm-hmm. We'll get vastly different pieces of information from that process than you will get from any talking heads and Everyone I talk to says the same thing. We are incredibly busy. We can't get get good people. We can't get enough people, much less good people. Right. Just for everything that we buy are going higher. Yeah. We work with a lot of commercial construction contractors, plumbing, heating, air conditioning, general, et cetera. And they're, they're moving a lot of dirt They're They they can't get enough people. Like you said, Uh, there's a shortage of, plumbers, electricians, getting those people trained and traded. Um, Mm -hmm. So I I completely agree with you on that. That's what we see kind of on the ground. I was just going to, you know, anecdotally throw in an observation. I need to buy a new blower for an air handler in my air conditioning system. Yeah. It's three weeks to, to get it. It's a custom order. It's three weeks. That's kind of what you find with everything you need in your life right now. Yeah. So let me kind of break, break a little bit and just say, or just kind of ask you, um, so outside of work, it sounds like you 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 work a lot, but do you have interest that what do you do on the weekends or when you're not thinking about the markets and the economy? Well, we have a ranch here in Utah, and we have um, and we have horses and a variety of other animals, and and so that's that's what I spend time on. It's um, it's therapeutic. Cleaning the barn, cleaning stalls, things of that nature is very therapeutic, and it's a good way to get away from kind of the day-to-day pressures of markets and it, it allows some thinking time and uh, time to breathe. So, so the number one question then is, are you a fan of the series Yellowstone? 
Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was, I, I don't think I was different than, than a lot of people. It was, it was kind of a key driver in our decision to move here full time in 2019. The, just the idea that of the lifestyle and more open space mm -hmm. uh, and things of that nature, that was a, that was a key influence. And it has been very important to this part of the of the Mountain West. This is a much busier place than it was just four years ago. That's awesome. So we share a lot of the content that is generated by your team um, with our clients. But if there's if the, the listeners are interested in like getting more of your thought leadership or accessing some of your ideas, you know, are there ways that they can like get that or places they can go to see some of that? You probably would know that better than I would. Okay. All right. So I'll just tell the listener then reach out to me because um, we get, I don't know, two or three kind of weekly commentaries from the investment solutions team, solutions team, uh, Mike or Stephanie. Um, uh, anyway, there's a whole group of them with fixed income equities, et cetera. So we're open to sharing anything that we have with the listener for sure. Stephanie is very visible, as you know, um, she's on CNBC and Sirius and does things mm -hmm. with Cudlow and you know a variety of venues. She's she's extremely visible. I'm not. I'm the, <laughs> I'm the inside guy. I just stay here in my in my little office and do what I do. Yes, you are behind the curtains. Yes, that's why we wanted to talk to you today just to get a little more, just so more people can kind of find out what you do and because um, you make a really big impact on our clients' lives. The investment process is critical and it, but it really from where we work on, you know, on the ground, it's, it helps people achieve their goals, keeps people on track for whatever goals they have, whether that's funding for college, buying a house, retirement, setting up a family foundation, et cetera. So you, you really do make a big difference. And so I really appreciate you. And I'm thank you very much for coming on today. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Tim. That's kind of you. Awesome. All right. Thank you to you both. Now, Tim, how can people get in touch with you? So they can always send me an email at tscannell at hightoweradvisors.com or call me at the office at 219-531-4941. Thank you for listening today. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with your friends. And till next time, I'm Wendy McConnell. Thank you for listening to the WealthStream podcast. We hope you gained some valuable insight that you can apply to your life and share with others. Please don't forget to subscribe below to be notified when new episodes become available. And don't forget to live greater. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Hightower Great Lakes. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Hightower Great Lakes is a group comprised of investment professionals registered with Hightower Advisors, LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Some investment professionals may also be registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Associates, LLC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is neither indicative nor a guarantee of future results. 
The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data or other information referenced herein is from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other data or information contained in this presentation is provided as general market commentary and does not constitute investment advice. Hightower Great Lakes and Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates, make no representations or warranties express or implied as to the accuracy or completeness of the information or for statements or errors or omissions or results obtained from the use of this information. Hightower Great Lakes and Hightower Advisors, LLC, assume no liability for any action made or taken in reliance on or relating in any way to this information. The information is provided as of the date referenced in the document. Such data and other information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed herein are solely those of the authors and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates.